computer. Okay, today's guest on the podcast is a man who I've known all my life, but really just known for the last 10 years. 10 years ago, I wrote a letter to this man and asked him if we could be friends. And he said yes, and we have, but we haven't spoke to each other since during the pandemic. It was August 2020, I think, the last time we had a chance to talk. Wow, what a lot of things have happened in my life since then. And I've been watching um, Santa Claus's Twitter, and there's a lot been working in his life. So without further ado, without further ado, let me introduce you to the one and only Santa Claus. Santa Claus, thank you very much for accepting my invite to come onto my podcast. Hi, Danny. Thank you so much for inviting me on Working Class Heroes. I really appreciate it. I, I'm a fan of your podcast. I looked at a whole bunch of them uh, recently. So I'm delighted to be here. And it's good to see you, my friend. Thank you. And you too, Santa. And I have to say, I'm also a, a big fan of yours. And what the listeners are going to get a chance to see that this Santa Claus isn't no just any old Santa Claus. This Santa Claus is active in making a difference in the world and um, in all sorts of parts of the, the, the every genre of politics. You've had a political career, you've got an adversary career, and you became Santa Claus. You actually are Santa Claus who lives on L Street in the North Pole. So it's not just a guy who goes to the mall on a, on a, on a Christmas Eve to sort of let kids sit in his, in his lap. You're the actual real deal, Santa Claus. So Santa, as I do on every podcast, um, I ask my guests to please tell me, you were born, then what happened? Yeah. Well, I was born uh, back in the late 1940s, so I'm 76 now, and I was born in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital over here in the United States, and uh, grew up there a little bit. Then my family moved to New York, grew up there for a while, attended school, then went to boarding school up in Connecticut, of all places, which neighbors New York, and um, then went back to New York for undergraduate school and graduate school and in the interim was um, I wound up volunteering a lot for different things I came from a sort of upper middle class family and I noticed a lot of the friends I had weren't that well off so I kind of got a pretty good impression about a wide variety of uh, the way people lived in certain classes, as it were. Um, I don't really like to use the word class, but that's pretty much what it is. And um, my sort of heart went out to a lot of people who weren't quite as well off as I might have been or people in my family might have been. So when I got through undergraduate school, I was hired, um, having been a film and video major at New York University, I was hired by the New York City Police Department to set up the first video unit in any law enforcement agency in the United States. Wow. And um, it was part of my undergraduate uh, work independent study. It was a new program in New York University, so they let, let us do most of our coursework independent study. And I figured, well, if I'm doing this, I may as well do something that's pretty exciting or attention-grabbing. Um, so they allowed me to uh, go around with the New York City Police Department and film their emergency services district, which is the one that goes out on rescue operations and other things. Wow. Kind of so uh, when I got to undergraduate school, I said, oh, weren't you the kid who did this stuff at um, 
for the police department. I said, yeah. So um, anyway, went through the uh, school and got hired by the police department, as I mentioned, and wound up setting up their first video unit. And that was replicated with a lot of uh, state and federal agencies subsequently. And one of the things that came out of it was a program that I didn't have personally have anything to do with, but it was based on my work initially was COPS. You've probably seen a version of that um, over. That's uh, pretty international now. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the work I was interested in at the time. But I saw a lot of uh, children falling through the cracks. The social service agencies weren't really able to accommodate them during emergency situations sometimes. And um, when I was responding, whether to do video um, or whatever uh, I was called to go to a scene, most people reacted to me. They thought that my presence was sort of a calming thing. So a lot of the cops who were around me uh, said, hey, you ought to become a chaplain. And uh, so I thought about it and sort of combined that with some of the video stuff and then went to seminary, actually a couple of seminaries, and uh, went through, graduated the seminary. The first seminary I went to was the Interface Seminary, the oldest one in New York City. So I got a pretty broad exposure to uh, a variety of faiths and traditions, uh, which I felt comfortable with. So no matter what I was responding to, I at least had something to contribute and tried to make people, especially uh, children, feel more comfortable in the dire situation they found themselves in, usually through no fault of their own. When was this? When was this sort of period, um, Sansa? What what years are we talking? In the sixties here, or? Uh, well, I went through undergraduate school, graduated in nineteen seventy one, and in seventy one to seventy two, I was my full title was special assistant to the deputy commissioner, administration of the police department of the city of New York, which is a wow. Wow. So you're right in the was. thick of it in the seventies. I was just born. I was being conceived in 71 and getting and coming to the earth in 72. So it was a long, I'm 51. So it was, it was a fair bit, fair while ago. And really well, interesting. One of, the, one of the little children that uh, came into, uh, that I came in to respond to if you'd been in dire straits way back when. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, I can relate to, to the period as well, because, you know, late sixties, early seventies, it was quite a wild time, wasn't it? There was, you know, people's mindsets were changing coming from the hippie generation into this sort of new funky generation where everything was sort of peace and love and there was a quite the contrast from at the moment you know it's uh it's it was a it was a real transitional period wasn't it for uh for for societies across the world but please go on t tell us a little bit more about you know what sort what sort of things were you seeing in new york city of all the places you know um where where what tell us something a little bit what what really sort of stuck out to you that made you decide that you wanted to go to seminary and and sort of come in come in with a christian from a christian's perspective um to help these kids rather than let's say a psycholo psychologist or a psychiatric sort of um or a, i don't know some other m way what what was what was the driving force to say right i would rather give these guys god peace and love um, rather than psychological well, psychological help, perhaps. Well, a lot of what I was seeing was during the, as you mentioned, like the hippie movement, the uh, civil rights um, 
the first big feminist push and yeah. some other movements that were going on this you know the lgbtq uh, communities were coming into their own and a whole bunch of stuff was happening at the time the whole anti-war um movement no more so i was sensitive to a lot of those um things and the first when i started thinking about the seminary stuff i was also thinking about going to graduate school at the time and um from what i was when i went to seminary i was more attracted to the christian uh perspective um, i'm a monk and a bishop and in fact you recognize the monks order it's the order of the anamkara and uh our soul friend in Gaelic and um the bishop part of it is the apostle the apostles anglican church so it's kind of an interesting combination and when i was doing my research one of the things i looked into uh, was saint nicholas because nicholas had an interest in children and as patron saint of children among yeah. other things and i think it's worth mentioning that today of all days that we i i reached out to you santa just a couple of days ago hoping that i could get you on before christmas i know this is a busy time for you um and we'll talk about the things you're doing right now but as santa claus this is probably the busiest time of your your life <laughs> and, and i was saying hey, nicholas day it's saint nicholas day today right we we said we said all right we got a chance. yeah on the 6th of december you said to me this would be perfect opportunity at saint nicholas day so sorry for interrupting but i think it's important to let everyone know who's listening to this know like years ahead of the time or, or recent and people who are listening now but obviously people will listen to this for years to come and uh, it's St. Nicholas today. It's this twenty. It's the sixth of December, two thousand and twenty-three. We're doing this interview. One of the things I was going to see if I can uh, punch up here on my computer while we're talking, which um, is one of the things that I thought about when I was going to a seminary, and this nice fellow John Fuglesang uh, wrote an interesting thing. We were talking about Christianity you and I just a moment ago. And I'm going to read this to you, if you don't mind, because Please, it's sort of. Yeah. Jesus was a radical, nonviolent revolutionary who hung around with lepers, hookers, and crooks, wasn't American, and never spoke English, was anti-wealth, anti-death penalty, anti-public prayer, but was never anti-gay, never mentioned abortion or birth control, never called the poor lazy, never justified torture, never fought for tax cuts for the wealthiest Nazarenes, never asked a leper for a copay, and was a long-haired, brown-skinned, homeless, community-organizing, anti-slut-shaming Middle Eastern Jew. How about that? Yeah, uh, maybe that's... A lot of people in your audience are going to say, ooh, what's Santa talking about? No, well, uh, I mean, listen, this is why I said at the beginning, you are a... Not, you are a, a advocate of love peace and harmony but some of the things that you say are shocking right um on your on your twitter and, and i mean that in the most positive way because that's how you get the point across right the most of the best coaches in the world are the controversial ones where they get people to sort of listen and change because of the their the controversial statements but um, i remember something that, um what was the statement about the penis um 
pregnancy starts with a penis. Pregnancy starts with a penis. Uh, let's regulate that. Let's regulate that, right? And there's, it's, it's like, whoa, Santa Claus just said that. But I have to say, it's the absolute truth. We as men hold that we are responsible for what we can create from that. So therefore, the, it all falls back on mankind. Guys, keep it in your pants. If you don't keep it in your pants, make sure you use it responsibly. I just seen some random thumbs going up there. Did you see that? And then he fixed that setting. But uh, but yeah, it's absolutely true. And it's the same as Jesus. Let's talk about that. Let's go there, right? Because at the end of the day, I am, I'm, as you know, um, Sansa, I'm a Christian. I'm a Catholic um, I'm anti-institution at the moment because there needs to be a lot of reform. I've said this before. Um, I cannot go down that line of saying the creed where I believe in the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church has been corrupted and it needs to be reformed. And until that time happens, I will stand on the sideline and say, I believe in Christ. Thanks for the teachings to the Catholic Church. But I stand alone with my faith, with God hoping that will change one day because that's really important that these these corruption these corrupt politicians within the church these corrupt leaders within the church these sexual deviants from the church all get brought into order and they all get put in let's just say prison uh, for the time being and 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 the catholic church is a reform that is for the people and not for the power of everything jesus was against my point, right? So when Jesus was here, he was against this societal um, indoctrination and institutionalism, uh, rich people getting the power of everything, right? And as you mentioned there, he was a poor, homeless, Middle Eastern Jew who didn't agree with the way that the Jewish faith or the Jewish institution was running its um, representation of God. Um, therefore, I said to some of my Muslim brothers and some of my, my atheist brothers, is like, hey, Jesus had an opportunity to, to build an army. In fact, I was talking to a Chinese man just about three, four days ago, and he was a Chinese, he was a secret Chinese Catholic, you know, and uh, sorry, a secret Chinese Christian. And um, his, his question was like, Denny, are you a Christian? I was like, yeah. I'm a Christian, but I've also studied Islam. I've also studied Buddhism. I live with Australian Aboriginals. I'm not an institutional Christian. I have understood that God wants me to have a relationship with him in a selfish manner. So I do that. I have a relationship with my God and my relationship with God. Sometimes sometimes I feel that God's in, in, my, in my room every day. Sometimes I feel that God has abandoned me for years. There's, there's, but I understand that it's my responsibility to live this life, not God's responsibility to live it through me or for me or anything like that. So I think we have a lot to talk about when it comes to personal responsibility to faith. And I think Jesus taught us that, don't you think? I do. I agree. I agree with you. I think we have similar perspectives on um, religion and uh, what what we're put here to do if we have the opportunity, I mean, we always have some opportunity, but some, you know, sometimes circumstances don't quite permit us to blossom as it were. Yeah. Our uh, love. That was one of the things I like to do with um, children. I usually give them a blessing saying, may you enjoy a lifetime filled with happiness, peace, good health, prosperity, and most of all love the greatest gift. So you and I feel the same about um, sharing our love and trying to help other people do the same because oftentimes 
we're we are or someone else is the light in this huge sea of darkness and sometimes the darkness is what i think our creator affords us to spread the light in i mean those of us who believe and others who might think about you know believing or at least be receptive to it I think have all these opportunities to share the love and brighten the world for everyone. And it doesn't always work, but as we know, but I think we're called upon to give it our best effort. And what I see now um, going on over, let's say in Gaza and other places, um, Ukraine and parts of Africa and other areas, um, present all these opportunities for us personally and for us as a group to make things better and it's up to us to do it instead of standing by on the um, sidelines perhaps and saying oh let's let somebody else do it or we don't have the resources to do it but there's always some way we can contribute to making things better and sometimes like a even a child a tiny little child might be walking uh, with his or her parents or guardians and it's a day and a nice day out and they're walking around outside and they just pick up a little rock that's something you might have seen on my little twitter feed and that's they're holding this kind of rock and they've seen people give stuff to one another so they offer that little rock to whoever it is they're with at the time and instead of just kind of saying, oh, thanks, and tossing the rock, that's that child's big gift. They're yeah. giving you something tangible in addition to their love. And I think sometimes it's drummed out of us to be thankful and grateful for all these expressions of kindness and happiness and and love that are around us, even in small little um gestures like that like what yeah. a little child could do it's a little well, right. child it's a gesture something. isn't it it's a gesture it's a training ground for that child to give i'm giving you something but i'm expressing my love to you and this is a great opportunity to teach that child the gratitude of receiving right and this is what i think that post was about yeah i saw that post too and i, and I thought it was awesome but it's like we, I can't say we because me, me and my wife, we've been sort of we're in love and and teaching love and strength and all that sort of for a very long time, and most of our people will we see who are struggling with 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 mental health issues, little things like receiving is hard, receiving help is hard, giving is hard because they're so so stuck and lost in their. Um, perpetual sadness or the perpetual anger or the per perpetual hatred towards others or the whole world's doomed we're all doomed and you know there's a part of me that watches the news and um, periodically santa i don't watch the i have no cable tv i i stopped that when i came back Morocco. i i refuse to be watching and participating in what their programming is because i i fully understand the aspect of it is programming you know, when we have a in the UK here, there's a program called EastEnders, and another one called Coronation Street, and another one called Emmerdale Farm, and all these soap operas, right? And 
I remember watching it was Christmas many years ago. And when my parent, my dad was still alive, my mum was still living in Scotland. They live in New Zealand now. My dad's dead, but I remember watching this um, program, this EastEnders program. It was an hour omnibus, you know, so that you could catch up if you missed what you missed in the week. You could catch up this hour show. And we're sitting there, and my kid was on the floor watching. He was only, I don't know, 12 or something like that, maybe. And he was on the floor. He was watching TV with his lying next to his nana watching watching TV. And it was about 8 o'clock in the evening, and there was an actual rape scene on the TV. A rape scene on the TV. You didn't see the genitals, but you saw the bare legs. You didn't see it, and you know, but you saw her face and her head going back. It was horrific, and I just couldn't believe that I was witnessing this. It was like Christmas Eve or twenty third or something. It was so close to Christmas. The Christmas tree was up. We were there because it was Christmas, and I was watching it, and I was like, "What? What's going on?" It's like I didn't see anything because it was. It was. I was just taking in the my family, my mother, my father. That little kid, my Lisa, and we were, me and Lisa were looking at each other and going, what is going on? I didn't take the responsibility to say, don't turn the telly off and let's do that because, oh, okay, this is what we're, this is what we've been fed right now. So we'll just watch and see what the reaction is over my head of my kid, but not over the head of me. I was stuck in it and I was still, I was talking about it for weeks and weeks and then saying, this is the program. Yeah, it happens, but you shouldn't be teaching it happens on a TV program on a Christmas TV program. And then the rest of the Christmas was about dealing with that rape case. And then at the end of the show, it was like, you know, if you have any, if you've been in trouble with, with call these rape pro, you know, like healing, healing helplines. And it was like, no, 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 that should have been done in a different way with more class on a documentary with someone famous, perhaps to say that this is, this is a big problem. But it shouldn't be getting thrown into a child, like a, a family show, and you're actually showing it happening on the TV. I think that well, you're right. You make a good point. And the other point is, and this is something you're extraordinarily familiar with, is a lot of what we're seeing on TV now is war based. <laughs> and it's very traumatic. I mean, you went through it personally, but yeah. it's traumatic for viewers who haven't necessarily been through that. And they're they're watching all this, and they don't realize the trauma that's affecting the soldiers on whatever side um, is involved in this. Whoever got them into the war in the first place, or conflict, whatever people want to call it. And there you are. You've seen what it's done with your life and the challenges it's presented to you to overcome, to have a healthy life with Lisa and other people in your family, you know, children, yeah. et cetera. And it's a major hurdle, and we see it in politics, we see it globally, but we also see it in our little communities, and we also see it in our families sometimes. With You see it with, you personally don't see it necessarily, but with domestic violence and issues like that. And there are all these opportunities for, whether it's parents or guardians or people who are being Santa or people who are in the helping professions, um, social services, et cetera, our medical services, um, all these opportunities, what I was talking about before with the light and the darkness to go out and do our part to make things better. You've done it yourself often. And I think that's one of the driving forces. I mean, for instance, for your podcast, you're giving people a wide variety of life experiences that people have had and how they've uh, coped with things for better or for worse and yeah. 
trying to achieve a balance in life. I think it's important to talk about what we're seeing in TV as well, Santa, because the reason I don't watch mainstream TV is because I don't agree with that type of programming, you know, because these are your programs and they come one after another. So, you know, at a certain time, you're going to be able to, let's say, be exposed to the news. We'll talk about that in a second. Then you're exposed to the soap opera, which is going to expose you to domestic violence that you've never seen before, um, horrific crimes that you would never have thought it would ever happen before. And and they're programming you to be fearful. It would appear to me. I'm, you know, I don't know. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just saying, hey man, I'm looking from my perspective. I watch that and I feel fr afraid. I feel disgusted. I feel kind of I'm I'm taken aback to the point I've said I'm not going to do this. I came back from the war. I watched CNN and BBC and Sky News over and over and over again. And I was like, wow, I can't believe they're telling you this. This is not true. That's not what's happening. Hey, I was on the phone to the guys. Hey, listen, can you tell me that protest that's happening on? Oh, yeah, it finished hours ago. I was like, what? It's not going on, but they're saying it's still going on. No, it's not. And, you know, they were just this all oh, fear mongering and going on and on and on and then downright lies. I used to think I was Al Jazeera were good news channel but now i balance i watch the that things popping up all the time i don't know what that is. i thought i'd turned that setting off on zoom but you know i watch i watch al jazeera and i'm thinking you're, you're absolutely just as propagandish as bbc cnn and sky news but you're doing it on the opposite side so is channel four do you mean so you have this is pro-israel on these particular channels, and this is pro-Palestine on this type of channel. So whichever, whatever channel you're watching for your news, they're, they're dividing you against each other, like like deliberately, um, with the way they talk, with the leading way they, they express things, you know, like, oh my God, I can't believe this has happened. And you're watching the news reader, it's like, shut up, hold your shit together and talk and tell, tell the news. Don't don't put all your emotions into it and try and convince me. Your job is to tell me the facts, and there's not much of that going on. Or there is, but it's it's misleading facts. You know, it's it's, spin, it's political spinning. And I don't need to talk. We'll talk about politics in a minute with you, but you you know the political spin. I remember being on the parents' meeting um for the the school that my my youngest boys were in. And I was sitting in this parents. I was the president of the the swim school team. I was the the PE teacher um, on a part time basis because they didn't have one. And I was also on the board, you know, the parental sort of association. And we were deciding on this construction to make a new a new library. And everyone agreed. Everyone agreed. We should put a hundred thousand dollars over here, so that just in case that construction project needs a needs to be topped up in any sense but it's a safety mechanism let's move that money and put it there everyone agreed 99 percent of the people in the room agreed and there was a mp an australian member of um parliament member of parliament australian guy and he went he went i disagree and he gave the weakest reason to disagree but because he disagreed we didn't have a majority so it meant that project couldn't go on and it went on and on and on for another three or four months before the construction could get started and I, I, I stood up to him and I said, why did you do that? I've just been the head of security of the Iraqi government. I know what spin is. Why would you spin a parade? It's just in your nature to spin it. But why? Why? This this is a library for the kids. Why have you slowed down the construction? We could have finished this construction by the time they're going to have to now sort this out. You know, and it was voted and then it was, it was just political spin. People don't realize that the politics of things are, they're just disagreeing for disagreeing's sake 
and it doesn't bring any benefit to anyone. It just slows things down. It diverts opportunity to their favor. And I don't know, I think that sort of political spin or lies or deceit or propaganda should be should be legal it should be it should be criminalized i think you see even a lot of little kids do that the ones that are going around no matter what somebody says they'll say no no just I, because not, just to be contrary or whatever yeah. and if nobody calls them on it when they're kids guess what you see a lot of adults doing it yeah but they're learning no, they're learning it the kids are learning it from somewhere aren't they right just like you were saying with the different faiths or coming from different countries and stuff we don't choose where we're born yeah so, you know if we're taught many of us are taught to hate we're either taught to love or to hate and i think the paradigm is love versus fear and the fear engenders hate but the love versus fear every family has an opportunity no matter what their circumstances no matter what their whatever country they happen to be in they have a choice. They can teach their children to love or to fear. Yeah. But I think what what I'm learning, um, Santa, is a lot of people don't take that when their parents are where their uncles are, whatever they are, you know, it's the aunts or grandparents. I suppose grandparents maybe know a bit more. But when, when they're young parents, they don't realize that by them picking their nose, means that kid will pick the nose in exactly the same way. Their reaction to something on TV, that child will react in the exact same way to that particular emotion. And and I'm doing a course right now with, um, I'll give you, give you a shout out, Rob McVie and, and Louise McVie. You guys are amazing. And I'll, I'll, I'll be touching on a few things that I learned recently from these guys. But there was, there was a, a, on one of the lectures, I, I was just watching it today, so it's fresh in my mind. And it, and it really... Nails it. Perfect. When you open your eyes for the first time, you're capturing data for the first time visually. When the 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 protection from your eardrums open up and your eardrums open up for the first time, you're collecting data unintentionally. It is always happening. And I used to sort of say this in my seminars and coaching courses too, is like we learn most things in the first three years instinctively by watching, listening, feeling. As a as a parent, you don't think the kids he feel that. If you feel angry but you're not showing it verbally, they're still feeling it. They feel that vibration. They see it in your eyes. They see it in your body movement. They know that you're pissed off, but you're pretending not to be pissed off. But they have learned that you are pissed off in that particular way. They have learned that. So a lot of these things when we get to, I don't know, adult age and everyone's suffering from mental health problems, it's like, Parents, you have a lot to do with that, right? Be aware. Just imagine, just imagine all the children in war zones with the planes flying overhead, the noise and the shattering, the bombs and the lack of food and blah, 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 how they're going to grow up as adults. One or two ways that there's not many in between, right? You're going to be either bitter and angry or you're going to be loving and, 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 and anti-war. You know, you're not going to be any colorful mix in the middle. It doesn't work that way. I remember one time, Santa, I was, uh, when I was the head of security, no, I was actually the head of security of uh, the Babylon. Um, it was down the ancient site of Babylon in Al-Hila. Um, the Coalition Provisional Authorities HQ was there. 
and I was sort of running the security and I had lots of room, lots of, like, like you in New York, I had access to lots of different people, NGO, NGOs and, 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 and hospitals and funding for injured people and all that sort of stuff. I knew all these people, so I could help people meet people. Do you know what I mean? I was, like, I was the catalyst or the liaison to lots of people, right? So people would come. I was, in, I was in Alhilla, which is South Central. People would come from Mosul because they knew I had access to people, right? So I was, I was very well known and loved within the Iraqi community um, and I loved them that was something that shocked me I went to Iraq thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna kill these if these if they come for me I'm gonna kill them all in the end my heart was softened because the Iraqi people were beautiful to me and they were kind and they were generous and they were loving and and they they, they protected me um, I'm alive because of the Iraqi people it wasn't because of the western influence or who I was with from the west it saved me it was many times over and over and over the Iraqis who saved my life I owe my life to the Iraqi people and many of them watch this podcast. So to you, I thank you again. But one day this, um, this, this kid came in and on the right hand side of his face, actually I lie. It's on the left hand side of his face. It was, um, pale blue with black dots spotted everywhere over it, all the way down his neck. And his father took his top off all the way down his body into his legs. You know, and his dad, Took the this is at the gate, the main gate of this camp. And he was showing me it all. And I and he's going, I need I need my son and my son needs medical medical treatment. I said, What happened? He said he he when the bomb when the, the bombs were being dropped, he took the full force of the blast, not the, the shrapnel part of the bomb. The blast knocked him into the next 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 garden. And he's been like this ever since. He can't feel it. He can't feel any of this part of his body. This, his eye had discolored, his black eyes, of course, the same as most Middle Eastern people. This one was like white, you know, he's blind in it. Broke my heart, you know. I didn't cry then, you know, in front of them, but I got them in, in to the right people and I got them medical assistance and I got them in the end flown out of the country so that they could go and um, treat this kid, you know, and that was reason why people were bringing kids to me. So that's one story of many. But that kid, I hope and pray, because he met me and the NGOs, and then the medical staff will grow up and hope. Do you mean that the trauma to him? Yeah, it was trauma, traumatic and horrible, and it should never have happened. But thankfully, he would hopefully got some medical assistance that would have brought a little bit of faith back into his life. Because you can't, you can't. <laughs> you know what, Santa, watching this war with Hamas and and the Israelis. Right, whichever side, who started it, who didn't start it, how long it goes back. There's so many different things that people are looking for an emotional tie to it. You know, hey, listen, Hamas went into and Palestinians went into peaceful neighborhoods with innocent children, so and, and older adults and all that sort of stuff, and did what they did. That that happened. That's that. If that happened to you or anyone else's house, what would you do if your neighbor did that to you? What would you do? You would, you would retaliate, and the retaliation would probably be really violent. Mm. That's what Israel have done. Israel are doing what they're doing now, and it's going on, and it's gone and on. And we're being given information that Hamas are reporting that 15,000 people are dead already. We don't know. Are they? Because they said 1,400 were dead, were dead in Israel. Now, no one corrected it, but now they're saying 1,200. No one's jumped up and said, oh, well, we overcounted or we didn't do this. It's just all of a sudden it's 1,200 and it's like, oh, 
surely we should point that out that you're now saying 1200 there was 40 people who had been beheaded well, we're not using that anymore they were burnt so you know what i mean there's, there's this information comes in that just changes and then it's like no one says anything yeah, and now there's all this artificial intelligence as well so you know you could take this podcast and three days from now using artificial intelligence we could be talking about animals in the zoo yeah, you know, yeah somebody knows or we could be talking about you know vegetables in the sahara or whatever because we're just gonna speak whatever it is to our mouth movements yeah and because we both have beards, it would probably look really, really authentic. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same. But go, but, but going on, this is the propaganda aspect of it, isn't it? Like, whoever wants to believe, get you to believe in one thing, they can because they have technology, they have lies, they have. Uh, as, anyway, getting off this subject, I said to Lisa, you know, I said, you know, they, they should re rename this war in, for history. This is the war of baby pictures. I've never seen so many baby pictures being used to 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 try and win the emotions of each side, and everyone who's doing that should be ashamed of themselves, because war has always killed people, and children have been part of that. And to be able to throw that in our faces is just just absolutely despicable, despicable. Let's change this. You you had mentioned something before about the the child that you were kind to and other people across, of course, along the way. And there is something I had uh, tweeted out at one point, and it goes, some stranger somewhere remembers you because you were kind to them. Yeah, I read that too. Yeah, yeah. And, and I believe... There's another story surrounding as the, where the the was it the soldier who was kind and 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 he sort of he did a good deed and people remembered him for the good deed more than they remembered the soldiers for you know killing people and all that sort of stuff. I well, think even I, applies to Saint Nicholas years and years ago. Well, you're a Christian, so I remember the Nicene Creed. That was a big issue way back when, and. <clears throat> He Saint Nicholas spoke out about it and eventually was imprisoned, not just because of that, but I guess he must have had a temper or something way back when. Yeah. Um most public figures, and I'm presuming that Jesus, when he was overthrowing the money changers' tables and stuff in the temple um grounds and a few other occasions, um where he got to be sort of short-tempered and um, critical um, of other people's behavior in a very forceful way. I think all of us have that in us, um, whether it happens to be Santa Claus or military or a podcaster or... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've know, lost like, it. I've lost it a few times on the podcast, you know. Uh, when we're talking about child sex trafficking, you know, and 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 we were and I'm, we'll we'll go on to child advocacy. Maybe this is a good turning point into it. But you know, the word pedophile, we we've mentioned it. You know, it's like outlawed now. It's child attracted minors, or something. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, attracted child? What do they call it? They call it minor attracted males or minor attracted minor. You know, change it. It's like no pedophile. The, you know, I remember. I think it was was Simon Trezelli and the SAS guy. I said, it's a pedophile, mate. Call it what it is. You know, it, the word itself makes you go, oh, it's just a horrible it's like, word. It's just like the word genocide. 
Yeah, right. It just it makes you go, oh, it just sounds horrible. It's, it's so descriptive in its in its syllables and the, the the letters that are used. You hear pedophile, and you're like, oh, that sounds like a horror word. And it's like now minor attracted persons, and it's like, no, use that word. This is a word that people don't want to be called. So when you call someone that, they know that it was bad. You know, even just the sound of it, it's bad. You know, we were talking about different faiths before, whether it's Catholic or any other denomination. Um, well, even the Catholics, just an example, 410,000 clergy. So out of 410,000 clergy in the Catholic Church worldwide, um, even if a tiny percentage happened to be pedophiles, uh, that's a lot of people. Yeah. There's, and there's they have constant of, access. Yeah, I think there's, I don't, I've not looked into it for a long time, but, you know, as you know, I, I did research it quite some, you know, and that's why I've decided that I'm not, I'm not I cannot morally nor consciously say I can support you as a as an institution because you haven't dealt with this yet and you have to if you are of an institution that goes around the world and um causes genocide so people become Christians and you, you know like they did in, until the Ottoman Empire maybe fought back it was it was a free-for-all um with the, through the Crusades and through the middle age middle ages times and with the Pontic being so high and mighty and you know, right now we have um, Pope Francis, who's controversial to say the least with the South American mindset, South American attitude. Is like if he was a bit younger, you'd think he'd be fighting in the streets to try and get his point across, you know. And it's like go back in history all the way through it. They all knew this was going on and they knew this was rife. Even back when you trace the bottom, I don't know, a lot of people listening to this might know this, but Luciferianism, Luciferianism or the Luciferians, infiltrated the church way back way back around the uh, before but around the renaissance times so there's a lot of been a lot of satanic worships going worshiping going on within the catholic church people don't realize that child sacrifice and all these different things so there's been a conflict that was almost like the innocent church of itself was 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 infiltrated by the worst evil and it was never eradicated it still still seems to be working itself through um the, the church as we speak so yeah it's true for most denominations i think they all have a, a small segment of each one kind of goes awry and well, it's because they're innocent it's the what do you do the most innocent people are the most vulnerable right so we have the most money they're the most innocent they want to help everyone they all they are they're all, for, they're all charitable and all that sort of stuff they want to help everyone they're so keen and easy to please everyone how hard is it to, for evil to inf infiltrate that it's pretty easy well you see it in politics as well Absolutely, politics before and yeah a lot of those people the convictions the arrests all of it just in every country so look we did a lot of talking before before we come online there didn't we and we've, we've sort of touched into a few of those subjects so let's open let's open up some of these subjects obviously we'll, we'll, it's a christmas show so let's rip off the band-aid and go right okay santa claus ain't no um just red guy who dives around with the, with these reindeers he's a real advocate for a lot of different things so let's look at let's begin i know one thing that's really really uh sort of top of your list to change is climate change now i i i have i'm going to give you my opinion because i know yours is, yours is solid right so i'm going to give you my uh, basic understanding of climate change right 
So I I don't agree for one minute that mankind can destroy the earth. I, I have a higher purpose. I have a higher faith. I don't believe that God would allow that to happen. The universe is massive. And in 100 years or so, let's say the industrial complex being here, um, earth changes. Earth's always changing. The climate's always changing. The Sahara Desert was once an ocean. Um, Egypt, Egypt, we're just finding out the, the 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 pyramids, for example, have water stains on them from when it was massive flooding. Um, the Ice Age, the the floods of Noah, you know, there's there's always been catastrophic things happening, tsunamis that took out Thailand, um, Sri Lanka, and and the Philippines, you know, re real events that, that killed two hundred fifty thousand people, you know, like massive catastrophic events. I'm also believing that we should be responsible for our pollution. For sure, we should. We should, right? And I think the people who have made trillions of dollars off the sale of gas, the sale of petrol, the sale of fossil fuels, they should be responsible for climate change. And we should be given, as the end user, a clean product. We shouldn't be feeling guilty for it. We should be changing as, as well as we can, but they made the profit, they gave it to us, and then all of a sudden we are now being told, I mean, the common people, the working class people, we've been told, it's your folks who are using plastic, it's your folks who are using diesel, it's your fault, because it's like, what? hold on a minute, I made no money from this. I saved all my life for that truck. Now I can't afford the fuel because of you, not because of me. You have been making all the money. I've been trying to get the money to pay for it and pay the taxes and pay the bills and bring children up. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm absolutely against this guilt tripping to the people and passing it back up the chain and go fix the problem and tell me the solution. Now, that's my opinion. I wanted to get off my, my chest because I know you know more than me. So please enlighten me on what the, what the climate change is all about. Well, some some people may be aware of it, but uh, currently I'm uh, on the executive committee of the Alaska chapter of the um, Sierra Club. Yeah. one of the environmental protection um, groups here. Um, we want clean air. We want clean water, uh, clean energy, um, safe, healthy environment. Um, and one of the ways we can do it is at the micro level and then at the macro level. What you were just talking about has a lot to do with the macro uh, yeah, macro level, uh, yeah. the producers. Um, I personally enjoy the outdoors. I would like to see our children inherit an earth that is fun to explore and safe to explore realistically and reasonably. And I'm going to do my little part to try and help that happen. One thing we were just talking a moment ago is... It, it's hard for us, it would be hard for us to destroy the earth as we know it. I and mean, we have nuclear capability and all sorts of other stuff. But even if nuclear bombs and stuff went off, the earth is still going to be here, most likely. And it may take a long time and the earth will recover. It might change a little bit, but it'll recover. We probably wouldn't be there <laughs> under those circumstances. But, you know, protecting the planet is important. For us, the planet will protect itself to a certain degree, enough that it will regenerate sooner or later, I think. I agree. And as far as all the money and stuff that's being put into exploring other planets, we can't even get this one right. So why are we looking at all these other 
places as a distraction. You know, it's we disgusting. should be like places like the United States or the UK or other countries that, oh, well, we, you know, we want you to be a democracy, let's say, for example. Um, and this has something to do with the environment as well, but we want you to be a democracy. Well, we don't have our act together. Why would somebody want to be a democracy? If we were this shining example, other countries would be coming at, to us saying, hey, how do you do that? We'd like to do that. Yeah. Like, you know, over here, we push for like Medicare for all and some other things that other countries have that work just fine. Yeah. It's considered. And it's just a tough thing to to push. So here are all these countries exploring space or exploring different defense, you know, operations or all this money going into things when if if it weren't for the ultra wealthy, in my opinion, I sort of tend to align with Bernie Sanders over here, who you may have heard of before as a yeah. senator. Um, if we weren't kowtowing to those um, efforts of people to divide and separate us, um, whether it has to do with defense or agriculture or medicine or whatever, um, we'd be a lot healthier planet. We'd be a lot healthier population on the planet. There wouldn't be any poverty. There wouldn't be any food shortage. There wouldn't be any dirty water. You know, all this stuff can go away. There's enough, there are enough money and resources right now to heal everyone mm -hmm. in our planet. And I don't understand. I mean, I know how it happens, but I don't, I don't understand why the people on top um, are trying to make it worse for, for folks, whether it's, you know, at the government level or whether it's just in society with uh, different movements and things, I would like to see our children have this, and I'm sure you feel the same way, have this wonderful, healthy um, future where they get to live out their lives helping one another. We all have different skills and abilities or disabilities for that matter. And there's always some way to turn it into a plus personally and for other people. You have a wide variety of skills and things and here you are turning some of those into this wonderful opportunity for people to learn and grow and feel better about themselves and feel stronger and be in a better position to share their love. Why aren't we doing that at national levels or international levels? We know how to do it. We have the resources to do it. Why are we letting people stop us from doing it? And it's a teeny tiny number of people yeah. that are putting the monkey wrench into this desire for us to um, have a nice, peaceful, loving world to inhabit. Why is that? Do you have any ideas? Because I look at this, and you know, when I was the head of security of the Iraqi government, I felt I I, I saw a safety friend. I was like a fly on wall watching how government works. There'd be two warring factions. There'd be, let's say, Barzani and sort of Talibani coming down to Alawi and, you know, the Prime Minister at the time, Jafari, right? And 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 the, but on camera, they're arguing and shouting and hitting each other. But when they meet each other, 
they're kissing each other, they're hugging each other, they're asking how their families are and drinking tea together and trying to find out solutions. And then they would leave that room, they would go to one side, would go to the camera over there, the other side would go to the camera over there, and then you'd be watching them and shouting. It was like, why did you do that? Why did you do that? I don't, I don't get it, man. You just had a calm conversation about politics, then you went out to the cut and you've vented yourself as if, as if there was a war going on amongst you both. It doesn't make sense. And I can see that in American politics. I pay more attention to, to American politics than I do British politics. I think when I look at the British politics, the, you know, six prime ministers or whatever it's been in, in one year, you know, and then you've got now a billionaire who's leading the country. Uh, how, how could that even happen? You know, like, you know, you've got shares in Moderna, you've got shares in all these different things. You've got, you're, 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 you're actually the globalist. You are the prodigy of the globalist sort of movement. And now you're running Britain. That doesn't make sense. Well, doesn't seem fair. At the same time, over here we've got Trump at all, and how does somebody aside? Well, media has a big part to play, which is owned by that tiny number of very wealthy people. But when you have somebody like Trump or Musk or someone like that able to find a platform that they can reach a ton of people and propose and sometimes implement these devastating changes um, and impacts that have a profound um, effect on children. Why do we let that happen? We see it all the time and it's coming back this whole, I mean, I, I'm worried, you know, here in the United States, if um, Trump or somebody likes him ever gets into office over here again, um, it's going to be devastating, and that's going I mean, to have an impact on every other country in the world. Now, it's an interesting thing. Well, I would love to open this up because Trump, we mentioned a lot of war here, and you know, as I say, we we sit in the in the outskirts here, looking in, and during, let's say, Trump's presidency, because we don't know the ends. I certainly don't know the ends and outs of all the political sort of back end stuff, right? But Trump, there was no wars under Trump. That was something that was very, very outspoken. The, the world was outspoken about that. And then, of course, we have Biden coming in, which I haven't got much respect for. I done, a, I, I did a documentary on Biden before he even was was elected, and it's not a good one. You know, so it was very sexual deviant. Um, Anna flagged Hunter Biden too as being a sexual deviant. And this, it's on YouTube. I think it's still available. Um, it's about an hour and a half long, three parts. Um, before Biden was even coming in that was when he was vice president i lost a lot of a lot of subscribers from america actually but 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 my point was when i look at what trump was um of course he was hated i've never seen anything like it you know i, I remember i remember what i remember watching if i was in thailand and looking at tv and going how how can how can donald trump be going for president this is insane i couldn't watch him i couldn't you know i watch him and he would trigger anger and then when I was I was doing other things and I had um, Trump, one of his um, campaigns, listening. I wrote a book called Attitude Revolution, and it basically said the best thing the world could have right now is a businessman coming in and making a government a business run. Like, for example, Apple has um, a sleep room for their employees. They have bean bags. They have more chilled sort of views of how business runs, and they look after employees really well, right? And I was meaning it like that, you know, it'd be nice to have the government employees having the same sort of so relaxed, high paid, 
comfortable places to work. Um, so it'd be good to have a businessman and come in and, and run, the, run the world for a while and, and start to make the government employees more profitable. Blah, blah. Just It was just a theory. And then Trump came in and I was like, okay, that's crazy. I went crazy. I was thinking about it. But anyway, one day I was listening to him without looking at him and his policies seemed, or more, you know, because obviously I'm interested in that sort of stuff. His policies seemed doable, but then he didn't have any war. And then Biden came in. And I have to say, Biden didn't do very well, in my opinion, when it comes to the getting out of Afghanistan, um, the, supporting the Ukraine war. I think the Ukraine war should have never happened in the first place because people like America should have really worked hard at peace. Um, that it could have been achieved, in my opinion. And now we have the Israeli um, sort of conflict as well. I don't think Biden and his, and his administration handled that very well. Doesn't look like the press secretary's handling it pretty well. Doesn't look like the, the national security guy's handling it pretty well. Then you have the border crisis, and it doesn't look like that guy's handling it very well. The national security guy. <laughs> it's like, what's going on with America, Santa Claus? It's, it's, it feels like America's on its down scale of being an empire and maybe going down to being third class empire. I think there's that possibility. And when one thing that struck me, we might have desperate views about Trump, but one thing that struck me recently was with the war in Ukraine and now the genocide in uh, Gaza, something Biden said recently was, he said, well, with the giving military aid to these countries, is a good thing because all the weapons we're sending over have to be replaced and made in the United States. So that's a financial aspect. And when you were talking about the no wars, mostly during uh, Trump's administration, um, a lot of that has to do with money. As you know, he likes to try to make deals and suck up to people, whether it's dictators, it's usually dictators, whether it's Putin or somebody else. And if he thinks money can be made, he's gonna do whatever he can to capitalize, literally capitalize on that. And when he's doing that, that affords an opportunity for peace, as it were, because all the moneyed people, even during a peace, time are doing nicely and a smaller segment do nicely during wartime usually the arms manufacturers etc and whether it's afghanistan or ukraine or um, israel and palestine or Yemen, or some of the other places uh, the United States in particular has been involved with. Um, I think what we and other countries are doing sets a really poor example to children on how to get along with one another. We all have different resources, but it's like a playground. If somebody doesn't want to share something, you know, that's okay but it's going to make it harder for other kids to relate to them. You know, they'll kind of look at it and say, well, maybe they're just going to not deal with that person. Or they might try and befriend them saying, oh, I'd like to use that 
bucket and shovel to get some sand over here mm -hmm. or i'd like to you know borrow that shovel whatever it happens to be and what those children are learning on that playground um has a lot to do like you were saying before with what their behavior is going to be as an adult yeah and i think we can see it whether it's biden or whether it's trump or people in europe or asia or other places or china for that matter um And religion doesn't seem to be helping <laughs> the matters much as far as um, getting people to behave better towards one another. And it goes back to that whole concept of love versus fear. What we see with the wars and stuff is all fear-based and resources, lack of resources, all fear-based. Yeah. And yet you and I are plugging for love. So why isn't that taking getting more traction? Because people don't understand what love is, you know, I think love is love is mistook for lust among the adult generation, certainly the, the younger generation, let's say from 14 years to 30 years, you know, love is lust, right? So lust for money, love of money, lust for women, men, lust for this, lust for that, you know, so they, 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 they have this love word, I think, psychologically drained into lust, so they don't realize that, you know, that they're the they're driving force is in lust you know so i want to love someone so i can be happy but i lust for that drive of that woman let's just say with that nice ass those nice tits you know and, and I'm, I'm lusting over what i need for myself you're not looking for the love for example with me and lisa have together we have a pure love i love her you know i love every aspect of her i love her friendship i love her mind i love her art i love being with her i miss her when i'm not there you know that's just the love of being with thing, you know, within love, you know, what is love is love is like that feeling you get when, you know, when you're with someone and you feel you'll be stronger. I'm double, I'm three times as more powerful with my love, right? Whereas I, um, a lot of people don't look for that. A lot of people in relationships hate each other. They're just there because of, so there's, there's a misunderstanding of what love is, Santa. And I think that we, we need to be teaching that, which is love, right? So, I, I've chose a long time ago. If people want to hate me, that's cool, man. I'm good with it. I've, I've got haters, man. You know, I can't believe it. I'm still, I still to this day, I'm like, how could you hate this guy? I don't get it. But even just saying that makes people hate me, <laughs> you know? So that's fine. That's fine. I don't, I don't chase those people and try and convince them I'm, I'm worthy of their love. I don't want their love. Go away. That's what I wrote in Attitude Revolution. You know, it was one of those books where it's like, I'm responsible for my attitude. I had to have that revolution. I can't change your attitude. Like, like I said, we have maybe political differences, but we still love each other. We respect each other. We have no animosity to each other because we learned you from probably real life politics and me from media sources of or of, of, of personality sources. I'm learning from that. So that feels good to me. I believe that you've got probably a lot more proof than me. So I'll listen to you with, with intent to understand better, not to try and shut you down and say, nah, don't talk, that's crap. I don't know, so I wouldn't say that, but some people would. But what right. you were saying also uh, with love, I think a lot of it is related to um, when children are growing up, their body image. Mm -hmm. If they're secure in their body image, whatever they happen to look like or don't look like, 
whatever it is, if they've been loved for who they are, whatever their persuasions might be, if they're loved for who they are and they're taught or shown how to love themselves, including their body, I think there'd be a lot less um, conflict going on um, between men and men, women and women, women and men. Um, there'd be a lot less of that because people, if they're secure in themselves, know what they have to share and people can, <clears throat> excuse me, recognize it in them like you were talking about you and Lisa you know you all have your qualities and habits and whatever and there's a a common ground that you can build on and I think most people have lost that I think most children have lost that you know they're taught to be competitive when they're in school whether it's sports or whether it's achieving a, a grade um, or how they're relating to somebody or extracurricular activities or whatever it happens to be. <clears throat> and all this competition, I think, is extraordinarily unhealthy. You know, it's one thing to be um, creative and resourceful and build on things and then share that knowledge. Like early on, who was the person that did penicillin and some of those other drugs way back when? That was all, those patents were all given for free. Yeah, people are making money off of it, and I'm thinking that wasn't why they did that. Those selfless people back then, yeah, um, different vaccines and stuff. Um, why are we constantly trying to capitalize? You know, if somebody happens, you're good at a whole bunch of stuff. I'm good at a whole bunch of stuff. Lisa, I'm sure is good at a whole bunch of things. If we're just sharing those, we're better together. Right. Yeah, sometimes it'll generate a living sometimes it won't you know yeah. sometimes you have to buckle down and do some work that you don't necessarily want to do but it doesn't have to be competitive and it doesn't have to be um, offensive but that's the whole the whole purpose of capitalism isn't it everything is competitive everything's for sale you know that's probably why you have these naysayers you know who just always bring something down because they've got a product they can bring and create a solution i think david dyke he's an interesting character isn't he i think he, he problem solution i can't remember what, what his, uh, his equation is but basically you create the problem um i'll find the solution and you know it just keeps on going like that you know like bring that person down attack them attack them attack them attack them attack them hey look oh there's no old i was saying i used to say the the the, the iraqis they do this all the time you know they would turn the light out they would trip you up they would turn the light on and give you a hand up and say, you know, so you're feeling that they helped you. They would, they would do tricks like that, you know. <laughs> it was like, what, what what happened there? Hey, oh, you had, oh, thanks, you helped me up. So he became the savior. I think there's a lot of trickery going on around in capitalism. Um, maybe you could, I didn't understand capitalism. People say, you got the left and the right. Well, what's left in America and what's right in America is the opposite. The right in America, the right in Britain is the left. You know, so, it's, so you're like, but 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 what's capitalism? What's socialism? What's communism? What's you know, so many different variations of people's thoughts and beliefs, and it's categorized. And if it's one category, let's say socialism, you're talking about Bernie Sanders earlier. It's socialism, and someone saying socialism will work. We'll say, yeah, how'd that work for the 
Russians? How did that work for the Irish? How did that work for these people? And it's like it just leaves people spinning around going, what, 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 I don't understand what we're supposed to believe in anymore. People used to ask me when I was running for office, what are you, you know, as far as a party or whatever it goes? And I wasn't a Democrat or a Republican. I was an independent, progressive, democratic socialist. Right. So, that so kind because of you're a socialist, most people are, oh, he's, uh, he's fascist, you know, or... Uh, you know, he, he wants everyone to just be paid by the government, right? The people, yeah. When uh, some folks were in from Germany doing a little documentary on me and some other uh, stuff going on in uh, Alaska, they said, oh, we're going to do this nice, you know, jolly segment. And I said, well, I'm not, I don't really do the ho, 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 you know, jolly huh, Santa stuff. Um, I try to be pleasant, but I really don't, you know, exaggerate it. And so this crew was there with a couple of cameras and they decided to uh, tape in front of the post office here in town because a lot of people would be going by. So I said, all right. But I said, you know, not everybody likes this Santa. <laughs> oh no, everything, you know, they'll leave. So about two minutes into this interview and they were just throwing me softball questions, you know, stuff that was easy to answer or talk about or give short answers to. Um, this guy in his 50s walked by, and I hadn't seen him before, but um, he the post office has two entrances in the front, so some people go in one, go out the other, or vice versa. And um, he was just about to open the door, and he looks over at me, and I kind of glance over briefly, and I said, hey, Santa, fuck you like that and he walked into the post office so everybody and the german crew is going what what was that and i said i told you not everybody agrees whether it's a political position or whatever and by the way to your audience sorry that i used that dance is swore oh my god don't yeah, tell your children that probably come back to haunt me <laughs> But, no, but that but that's so important, Santa. You but even that. for Santa, you know, and there are other Santas out there, not necessarily Santa Claus in North Pole, Alaska, but there are plenty of people who portray Santa or St. Nicholas throughout the United States and the world who have disparate political views, who um, have different ways they might try to solve some of the challenges we have on a political or environmental or social or whatever system and even though i'm not so much in favor of the crass commercial secular spectacle that christmas has become in many places i don't discount them either because i think most of the santas almost all are coming from a place of goodness in their heart that they would like to make children feel happier or better or more comfortable or uh, being respected loved and so i don't judge you know any other santa i have my particular you know preferences on what i would like to see santa doing but i'm not going to try and project that onto somebody else so whether it's santa or an educator or what you're doing or what lisa is doing or what my family members might be doing um i it always amazes me how people become so judgmental and vocal about it you know, it's one thing to think something about whatever it is, but then if you're going to go out in this very forceful, you sort of got into it a moment ago, um, forceful, 
demonizing, you know, of somebody else or whatever it is that they're doing or another country or what have you. Um, I'm not sure that's so healthy. It's one thing to call it out from a, like you were saying before, an observational point to say, oh, well, here's what I see. Somebody has uh, mischaracterized me during one of the um, campaigns and one of the local media said, well, what do you think about what they just said about you? And I didn't want to say anything about the other candidates. So I said, well, what I heard was arrogance, ignorance, and fear. Period. Yeah, and that's awesome. what the reporter reported. And it didn't. I didn't demonize the other person. I didn't get into it with them but i did, was able to express what i heard or how it made me feel or that kind of stuff i think that's a much healthier way for us to teach children how yeah. to with something that might be a conflict attitude that's why i wrote attitude revolution and it brings us right back to what we we're talking in the beginning those kids are watching everything they, it doesn't matter you 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 behave this way and then you turn around to get no, just don't be like, don't be like me. You know, it's like, well, of course they're going to be like you. Take responsibility yeah. for that. Do you know what I mean? And I had to do it with my kids. You know, little Gabriel grew up a little bit with an attitude. It's like, what do you expect? You know, he's my son. Do you know yeah. I mean? And speaking, and speaking of which, when I said that word before, I had heard years ago that that was an abbreviation for unlaw for unlawful carnal knowledge. Bomb. Well, that's what it will be for that that representation of that uh, the abbreviation that you sort of spoke about. <laughs> you know, in fact, uh, I have the three lists: the nice list, the naughty list, and then and the shitty list. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Dash dash t. Yeah, yeah. Most people think it means poop, but it's actually a short list <laughs> for fear mongers usually. Yeah, well, the world is full of them, and I think we'll discuss that a little bit. And and it comes from media. Do you know? Do you know, Santa? If we can, if my wish for Christmas would be this: if we could stop the fear mongering and stop the propagandization of 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 the victims in all conflicts and in all aspects of life, if that could be outlawed, the world would be a better place. Because every time we would wake up in the morning, we'd be getting fed with something positive, something good. The reason I do coaching and the reason that I I am coached, right? There, there's no, you know, it's great saying I'm the coach, I'm the great one, but I have to be coached. I have to have someone coaching me too, you know, otherwise I become stagnant, I become stale. And there's something that I mentioned, Rob and, and Lou earlier, that there was something that they, they were teaching me today is about quantum physics. I didn't know what quantum physics was. You can say to me, what's quantum physics? I was like, oh, yeah. But I'd have thought I'd have known. So I could have followed on a conversation and probably pretended that I got it. But today I realized that quantum physics is subatoms. You know, um, was it photons, neurons, and electrons, or something like that? Isn't it the three, the three light energy sources that create and make an atom? And the basis of that is we have light going through our body, so we are light beings. And all religions mentioned the Jewish religion, the the the, Brit, um, the Christians mentioned the, be the light, of, in the, and then the the Buddhists too have it. And it made so much sense to me listening to what they were talking about today. It's like be the light. Be the light. Let the I light agree. perpetuate through you, and therefore people will receive your light without you sh opening your gob. <laughs> think, think good thoughts. People will, will feel those good vibes. 
And Islam talks about that too. Even um, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he says, don't go teaching Islam to anyone. Be a good example of what a good Muslim person is. And people will ask you, why is you so amazing? And they say, oh, it's because I learned this. And then teach. So each each of the religions has the answers. You mentioned, I'm not sure how religion doesn't work. And it's like, it does work to, to get people angry. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we were talking a moment before about your friends in the quantum physics stuff. Uh, usually before, as it gets closer to Christmas, uh, just to give us sort of info to kids, especially. Um, remember Doctor Who, the whole yeah. series? I love that. Well, scared me when I was a kid. Daleks. Well, well, they do teleportation, of course. And... Um, I was reading a while back, uh, somebody was talking about the physics and um, um, matter and energy and particles and stuff. So when people ask me how I can get around everybody's um, chimney or house um, yeah. on Christmas Eve, yeah. I'll, I'll say I just teleport. You know, it's just matter and um, the whole physics part of it. And I'll post something on um, Twitter having to do with that. I was trying to look it up while we were um, talking for a moment, but I, I couldn't I it it. Away. I didn't want to spend that much time on it. But um, I just kind of try and have fun with that like you do. You use certain examples in what you teach, and I've yeah. seen them on the podcasts as well, trying to introduce some humor to things to kind of dissipate what other minds might be um, could, could be angry, angry and controversial, right? So we have a we have a, an ethos in the Royal Marines, and part of that ethos is um, cheerfulness and 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 face of adversity. So you know you see a lot of shit as a warrior, as a soldier, you know, and commando. The general rule of a commando is a guerrilla warfare guy. So you know when you sign up for that, you you you're guaranteed you're going to see some horrible things to each other, to things that happen in the world. And one of those ethos is to see cheerfulness in times of adversity. So it's kind of like make light humor or something, which makes us kind of sick. You know, our, our, our sense of humor is kind of sick, you know, so you can't really say it out loud too often. You know, among your friends, you can say it because they'll get it. But when you say it out loud, people are like, like, what's wrong with you? And it's like, you, you need to get it. But try and try and keep it light. There's enough enough darkness in the world, China, isn't there? Yes, there is. So yeah, we've, we've touched climate change. We've touched climate change. We've touched the politics. We've touched war. We've touched a few things. Now, now I've, there's something that that I want to. I've never haven't spoke about this on my podcast, and I, and I saw on your timeline too. There was some stuff there that we mentioned transgenderism, or you know, L, we mentioned LBGTQ back in the day. You know, I didn't even realize back in the seventies it would be a thing back then, but it's clearly something that is is taking the mainstream media by storm right now so i would like to ask a bit of advice on number a couple of things here number one you know how can we better serve the transgender community because none of the people i know want them to be suffering and i know that they're a minority in the world not a majority in the world right so there's like a it's a, it's a small group of people getting a lot of exposure right now where it's, it's kind of it makes me feel like the whole child um not just america that the society of children are now feeling compassionate and perhaps a little bit confused about their own sexuality because it's been sort of explained to them in a way probably not the most 
delicate way that's been thrown at them. So how how can we how can we sort of better understand what's going on? And I know that you were sort of mentioning something on Twitter recently, but you were talking about being kind and to these people. Can you give me a, a just let me understand a little bit more about that, so that we can we all, as the people listening to this podcast, can better serve that community without offending them, but also at the same time without kind of losing ourselves and misinformation. Well, um, I'll preface it by saying that when I tweet about um, children, especially, but having to do with the LGBTQIA plus communities, yeah, um, I try to be loving and respectful and say that I, especially when I'm addressing children, that I love them just the way they are. And whether, no matter what, it's without qualification. And I might not necessarily like what they do, but I love them and who they are. Um, that's irrespective of their behavior, which I might disagree with. So yeah. um, taking that into consideration goes back to, I think, what I had mentioned before about body image. If we're taught at an early age to love ourselves, love our bodies with whatever limitations it might have, um and respect other people's bodies you've probably read about some of the times when uh, government policies have considered um examining a child's body to see what their birth sex was or is and let's say having to do with restroom policies or that sort of stuff in my opinion, nobody should be inspecting, an adult should not be inspecting another child's body unless it's for some medical reason or a complaint, let's say, paper or something like that. And I'm a big proponent for body, body autonomy at any age. And I think if children grow up feeling good about their bodies and respecting other people's bodies, um, I'm not so sure that there would be this opposition to a lot of the LGBTQ um, stuff. What people do with their own bodies and with somebody else consensually is their business. You know, why would I characterize how somebody wants to relate to someone else, as long as there's no abuse and there's no um, <clears throat> excuse me, disrespect, that sort of thing involved, why would I even one want to know? And why would I want to insinuate myself into whatever relationship those consenting people might have? And some of us are attracted to different, um, either the opposite sex or the same sex or both sexes. Some people are asexual. They're just not interested for mm -hmm. whatever reason. Or there's just not a drive. They might be interested, but there's no drive for whatever reason. So what? You yeah. know, let them be themselves. Um, I don't like people, whether they're straight or gay or some other persuasion, getting into my face, say, oh, this is what I am, and you better accept it, blah, blah, blah. I just don't, 
you know, I don't spend that much time thinking about it yeah. at all. Um, so it amazes me that there's so many politicians in particular, but also just regular people who are going around trying to impose their sexuality on other people. And that's true for both sides. Yeah. I don't yeah. like other people imposing their sexual stuff on me either. Yeah. So it's more back to the, like live and let live. <laughs> yeah. And hey, but but you come you come from that late sixties, early seventies freedom of everything, wasn't it? Freedom of sexuality, be who you want to be, love who you want to love. There was a freedom in in, in sexual ways. It was just be was, careful of that and prevent STDs. Well, that's it. But that's what happens, isn't it? Because, in fact, I had a vasectomy when I was forty because I, I knew that. I didn't did not want to have children. Yeah. So, you know, the, the whole abortion issue and the rest of it, which yeah. has an impact on what kids see, you know, they don't want to feel unwanted. Mm -hmm. They don't want to feel like, oops, somebody made a mistake and here I am. Oops, yeah. whatever. Why that's aren't adults more responsible with I that know, kind of? Well, that's, that's like that goes back to the whole penis thing, isn't it? It all starts with a penis, you know. Well done for you taking that responsibility. I've got loads of friends that did that too. Um, thankfully I don't have to because Lisa Lisa was all all sorted after one of her last um operations. It was it, she she got tied up, so I didn't have to. So we're happy days, you know. But um, but just going back to the going back to the the transgender thing, which I I really it kind of disturbed me a little bit when I I didn't realize it was a thing because I was in Thailand and and there's lady boys kai ties the cold out there. And they're just part of the society. That's it. They're, you know, it's no big deal. Just, they, they, could be, they could be walking their bike. They could be walking. Yeah, indigenous the... populations also, two spirits and all the other. Yeah. yeah almost it's... every society has that. It's fine. They just get on with it. It's fine. No worries. But I think what like you mentioned before, I, and it gets me a little bit, is like, number one, I teach English all through the years. I still teach a bit to my to friends overseas. Um, when I'm talking about, you know, single and plural, you know, this and that, him and her, and they and them. You know, it has an English literature. Is English literature? It shouldn't be changing because someone wants to be called they. It shouldn't. And and I, and I say this to to everyone, all my friends. Like, you know, I had a big argument down in London recently. We were down there. There was a gay couple. You know, get girls, and I didn't really know one was gay, but then and it turns out they were gay. And I was talking about that. I was like, why why, why is people telling me that I have to put on my emails what I identify as? My name's Denny Denham. That's it. Yeah, I'm happy to accept people for whatever they want to project about themselves. What's going on in the background? Look at that. There's Santa, there's fireworks. Stuff. <laughs> it's going crazy. Maybe we but, have a big population in the LGBTQ community. No, but, but I, I have lots of gay friends. I really do. It's, it's like, I don't want to be offending anyone. I don't. I really don't. So if you want to be called whatever, that's fine. But it won't naturally be when I call someone they, when I would be referring to, I wouldn't refer, it's rude to refer to someone as his or her anyway. Do you mean? So, you know, when I would be calling you by your name. Do you mean? Yes, I talk in the third person. Most of us, yeah. Trump does that, but very few this, other people. Why do. is this a conversation? You know, it's, it's, hey, listen, you are who you are. Your name is James or Jill or whatever it is. I'll call you James or Jill. I will never refer you to as they. It's rude. So just stop. Calm down. Everyone calm down. Right? We all love each other. 
and just accept that that's the baseline we all love each other let's move on let's not cause too much trouble about that because sensationalism has never really helped anyone it just causes divide and by you now saying that you need to have more power means that you're now go entering that control freakish mode that will give you less power in the long run so why don't you just get in your lane the same as everyone else and just crack on life stop making big deals about everything that's that's my, my personal opinion the more we make a big deal about something the more people look into it but they get bored also, I've, known, I've known quite a few uh transgender people believe it or not there's a healthy uh number up here in alaska and huh? when i whatever they identify with that's how i relate to them yeah you know um do you mean as a as a male or a female in that regard? Yeah, yeah. Thank if somebody you. presents as a woman, for example, when I'll relate as, as, a as a woman. Of course. Um, if they present as a man, same thing. I'll relate to them as a man. Of course. And why wouldn't I if that's what they want to project? Clearly, that's what they're they are. If they turn up in a skirt, all right, Miss. Well, you know, the same as the, the lady boys, you know, in in Thailand. You, they would turn up at, for the boxing class wearing women's clothes. So I would say to them. Or or perhaps a kilt. <laughs> never had never seen that one yet. Never seen that one. But I would say to them, Santa, I would I would say, all right, what do you what what do you want to call you? And they go like my name's Myra. You know, and it was like, oh sorry. So of course, sorry, Myra. I don't know why I asked that question. All right, come on, jab. You know, and off we off we go. And some of the toughest people I've seen in my life are some of those lady boys, man. You know, like they have to be tough because the tourists in Thailand they get they get you know they don't tell everyone they're a lady boy, and some of them are stunning, and they get in a bit of trouble at three o'clock in the morning when the guy finds out. You know, I was like, what the hell is going on? But uh, but yeah, but if it's, it's as far as I'm concerned, ladies in drag were entertainment for adults. That's what I've always known. And now I'm seeing in schools around the world, I suppose, in the UK, and not as much UK as much, but certainly America, the, the, the drag ladies are in the schools. I'm like, guys, know your place. That wasn't really what this was about, you know. Like, Especially in Brazil. You know, Brazil. Brazil, that's very common. Yeah. Again, you know, like who cares? You know, if, if it's perceived as entertainment or perceived as you know whatever, why should that bother anybody? You know, I think it does. It offends people because a lot of people see it as more of a, um, more of a, a sexual preference and a deviance, a deviance off the norm. So therefore, it would be regarded, regarded, regarded to a lot of people as a deviant behavior. So that's why it causes this stress. And certainly, looking at America, that's why it causes this vicious sort of fight against it. But another thing as well, I think it's really important. I'm sure you'll agree on this. When when you when you when you're giving access to sexualization to children at such a young age, this the, the, this this has to be discussed and understood too right when is the appropriate age to be teaching children um sexual education when we were at, we were we were at school it was like 14 15 years old or maybe maybe 13 14 years maybe something like that but it was high school 
Do you mean so it was it was it was a development time we're going we're going through puberty? That's when we were discussing that, and I never get discussed in my house. You just you either you just became sexual active. That was it. And I was saying to my mom and dad, you know, why are you guys going to give me the, the the talk about the the sort of life lessons, rules of life, sex, and that? And they went like, shut up, get upstairs. <laughs> it was never a conversation that was talked about. I think it should be healthily talked about. But what what would you say is appropriate age to be talking about sexual intercourse? And maybe I'm just being naive here. Maybe kids are thinking about it a lot earlier than 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 I did. Well, I'm not a sex educator and haven't studied it that much, but I do know that there's a difference between teaching biology and teaching human sexuality. Yeah, and I think the biology part should come first. Like, you know, do you have a penis? Do you have a vagina? Are you going to have breasts? etc versus how one relates to someone else especially sexual especially sexually given whatever biology you have personally yeah so i think those are two entirely different issues biology i think should be taught you know fairly um scientifically yeah scientifically early early on as as soon as someone thinks a child can sort of absorb that properly and um goes back to that body image kind of thing yeah you want to and i think you're you, and you, you mentioned there the autonomy as well that's when it should be taught that your body is your body and no one has the right to touch it i think that should be definitely installed in children at a very young also in adults you know just they like getting back to you know the whole thing why are we regulating women's bodies you know that's up to them and if they believe in god or a creator that's up to them and their creator mm -hmm. and or their physician yeah. their health provider perhaps their family if they're interested in sharing that so i think i mean i see it here in the united states all the time this whole issue um, with men trying to control women's bodies and functions. And I don't agree with the way a lot of people feel over here. I think women should have their body autonomy. And um, with respect to abortion and other issues that affect women, um, I think they should have the, the final say. I think and, I think I, I I think I'm right in the middle here. I think pro-life is definitely something that should be encouraged, but healthy abortions and having the availability of healthy abortions should also be available. It shouldn't be a one or the other. It should be sitting in the middle and going, look, we need to give you an opportunity to understand what benefits pro-life will bring to you. And also, if you choose to go this way, there is a lot of negative aspects of having an abortion. One of my girlfriends had an abortion and it broke us both. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you with that. But and... it was she made and one that I supported. But it was very traumatic. Do you mean it was very traumatic for both of us in the, the immediate term? The medium term and the long term was we didn't end up being together because that which happened and I, and it probably was for the best reasons because we were young and we were stupid, yeah. But but that went that way. But also I'm pro life as well because my younger son came and he wasn't planned, you know. But was like, oh well, let's let's just let's let's support this. So I don't know. Well, I think whichever choice people make, um, 
if they're saying that they're pro-life, that also means supporting the child um, once the child is born. Well, before, depending on how you look at what is a child and what isn't a child. But once the child is here and up and around and kicking outside of the womb, um, if people aren't going to support that child or the mother, um, that's going to factor into the mother's decision. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if people want to cut down on abortions, um, perhaps there could be a little more attention paid to society's safety net and also educating the men. If you impregnate a woman, um, you're responsible for that child. Yeah. Uh, and it better support it. And if you're not willing to or able to, then use contraception. It kind of irritates me when people are, oh, we're pro-life, we're pro-life. Oh, can't have condoms, can't have uh, mm -hmm. birth control. You have to do it on the menstrual cycle or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just like mm -mm -mm. more thought and action has to go into it than just positing That's you know, right. one's belief. If, if sex was just for breeding, then you'd be in a different game. But sex is for bonding and enjoyment and pleasure. So you have to yeah, take the precautions. You have to take the precautions. It's, it's one of those things. It's like an old Christian do in doctrine that like you can't have condoms and you can't have ch um, birth control because it's going against nonsense. That's nonsense. I don't know where that came from. It certainly, didn't, in my opinion, didn't come from. Um, the source of love it came from some angry old single man probably gay who wanted to see people suffer so they would come to his church and ask for forgiveness and give them more money this is why the institution of the catholic church has sort of it's got i i've got a lot of stigma in there it's like yeah dirty old man i don't why are you advising people why are you advising families on anything you're celibate okay you should be a family celibate you you shouldn't be you shouldn't be advising anyone on sexual anything. You should be handing that over to professionals to do that for you. You should be out, that should be outsourced, not insourced. You know what I mean? You should, priests shouldn't be talking about these different things. I think this, especially in this day and age, you know, when we have sexual counselors, we have psychologists, we have all sorts of different um, groups of people who who are very well educated to help people understand their sexuality, understand their the relationship sexual relationship with a partner if they need help with that i've never really needed help with that to be honest with you it comes kind of natural it's a kind of natural process isn't it but some people need help in everything they do don't they it's like well, I don't also know. clergy are supposed to love people no matter what yeah and they might disagree with their behavior but they're still supposed to love the person and try yeah. and support them however they can and you do that a lot when you're doing your particular work and yeah. a lot of different levels, which I was happy to see. Thank you. Sansa, I wanted to be a priest. That was my first vocation drive. You know, that was my my first movement to do anything in life was become a priest when I was like 14 years old. And I got laughed out of the 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 chapel house, you know, because <laughs> I was a boxer, I was a street kid, you know. I was, I was like, but I want to give my life to Jesus, and he's like, oh, yeah, get out of here. But then when I was in my twenties, after my brain career, I went back, I sort of I sort of really thought about maybe going in and being a priest then as well.
but um on both occasions after my rejection from from the priesthood i joined the marines and after my, my sort of realization that the priesthood wasn't going to work for me i end up in iraq you know so it's one of those things like i was meant to be in war for whatever reason that was but for you were doing priestly duties in iraq just like you were saying yeah, were I, I i do believe i serve god a lot a lot i i've been serving god with a lot more probably less rules because I was able to do it indiv individually and lead by example. And, and I still, to this day, that's that's the motto between in my family, but also in my, my coaching business is also is like lead by example. If I, if I am not being who I'm asking you to be, then obviously mock me, throw stones at me, do what you got to do, because it's my responsibility to stand up and be me um, with the training I've had, with the mentorships I've had, with the coaching I've had, I've become me. I never want to share that knowledge. And, that I traded in my guns for my my microphone and, and and I feel I can do a lot more good with these conversations than I can running around the world with a gun trying to take out bad guys who end up being good guys and then the reason we were in the war in the first place is because someone lied and then someone stole the money and then before you know it that guy was a nice guy he had a family didn't deserve to be in the battlefield and he should never be in there in the first place because at the end of the day it should have been dealt with as I mentioned right at the very beginning by those rich guys who are causing the wars we got to push the pressure back up and say, you find the solutions. You created them. Stop making me feel guilty for living in this world. It's not our... So I'm happy to see the unions surging now these days. Yeah, we need people to fight our rights. We do. I mean, I've never been in an industry where I needed a union, but I, I sort of look at the unions and I think, no, it's, it's like, that's a good, um, a good um, barricade from the rich taking more from you and working you to the death you know I, I, I sort of work a lot with a lot of chinese people too and you mentioned competition you know competition of education competition to get a job competition to they're all good they're all good university degrees these chinese people they're, they're, they're a phenomenal um race of people who have been overworked over educated and uh and are exhausted they need to break same as the rest of the world the whole world needs a break santa santa grant has grant has a break give us a, a holidays for the people's minds that's what we need a miracle so that people can have a little break in their minds and and have christmas presents inside their thoughts it gives them joy and love and appreciation and gratitude it'll be good to see i'm i'm i'm, I'm conscious of the time i could speak to you for hours but we've probably hit about an hour and a half already and uh i do want to uh as i mentioned before record um for the viewers listening i sent it earlier to record a message for your children you know for the santa claus believers children we'll do that um in a minute and um and then do another message for the kids who are just coming out of the believing mode and don't really know how to do it and they've got younger siblings and they want to tell them that, that i think santa's not 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 um not real has got a message for them to say you know don't be naughty and, thank uh, you so much for having me on working class uh, heroes i appreciate it it has been my absolute pleasure santa and um we've known each other for a very long time we've spoke about lots of different things over the years but this is my was my first opportunity to be able to talk to you i even kept my glasses on for the whole time so you weren't a blur yeah. i wanted to really see you and i wanted to capture this moment also for me because uh it's been great to have you in my life Give my love to elise as well and your children and, i will uh, thank you look forward to our next segment all right cool and thank you Thank and you. I get to wish you a Merry Christmas in advance. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you, Sansa. Thank you. Thank you very much for all that you do. You're a true inspiration.
Thanks, Danny, you as well. Hey guys, guess what? I was speaking to Santa just the other day and I've asked him to give you a message on Christmas Day. He's just back from giving you all the presents from all around the world. Hey, listen to what Santa's got to say. Hi, Denny. Thank you so much for the invitation. Children, this is Santa Claus in North Pole, Alaska. I want to tell you, first of all, that I love you for exactly the way you are and who you are. And I wish you a lifetime that's filled with happiness, peace, good health, prosperity, and most of all, love, the greatest gift. Merry Christmas. All right, guys, did you get all that? If not, replay it and replay it and replay it until you understand it. Santa's sending you love, and so am I. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas Eve, guys. I hope you're having a lovely night. You've got your jammies on. You're ready to go to sleep. And Santa Claus is going to be coming. I just want to say, for you guys who have been thinking, not sure if Santa Claus is coming, he is. Let me introduce you to the real Santa Claus from North Pole. Santa, here's the children. Hi, Denny. Thank you for the intro. Uh, children, this is uh, Santa Claus in North Pole, Alaska. It's me. It's actually my legal name. I'm former councilman and mayor pro tem in the city of North Pole in Alaska, the United States. I'm going to be visiting everyone, usually by teleportation, which you might have heard about if you had any physics classes. But even if you hadn't, I want you to know that I love you just the way you are. You might not believe in me, but you should believe in the Christmas spirit. And there are many people who portray me, my beloved helpers, and we're all here to make sure that you have a bright, wonderful future during which you're loved, appreciated, respected, and supported. So I love you, and I look forward to seeing you for an instant on Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas. All right, guys. And as you just heard from Santa, I am one of Santa's little helpers. And that message was brought from me to you via Santa so that you have a wonderful Christmas. Merry Christmas.